0: I'm going to read today's text and then I'm uh, going to pray and then we'll get into it. John chapter 1 verse 14 reading the message translation which was written by Eugene Peterson who just passed away this week. One of my favorite translations. And it says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Lord, if you speak to us through the written word, revealing your love in Jesus and the wonder of your salvation Or if you speak to us in your amazingly complex book of nature, showing your wisdom, power and glory, either or both, we praise you and seek by your spirit to learn and walk in your ways. Amen. Well, I'm so excited to be here this morning, um, to be here with this beautiful community. Uh, I know you have no idea who I am. (laughs) But I know who you guys are, and um, you're loving pastors. See, you guys helped me, even though you guys don't know me, you guys have actually helped me in my faith reconstruction. I know a lot, of, a lot of us know about deconstruction, but you guys actually helped me in my reconstruction. See, on New Year's Eve last year, I walked into this church and my faith was uh, instantly renewed. Um, There was nothing special in terms of glamour and smoke and mirrors. There's no special guest speaker or, you know, some big guy or whatever. Uh, It was just you. Uh, A community of love and faith, an affirming, inclusive community, and for a recovering conservative, borderline fundamentalist like me, that's exactly what I needed. (laughs) So thank you, and thank you to Ryan and Andrea for allowing me to share this morning. Um, I just wanted, he asked me just to share my story. Uh, Ryan and I have become friends over the last year and uh, constantly, well not constantly, but whenever we get a chance just sharing, just talking with each other. Uh, I got to meet with him at at Starbucks for a few hours uh, uh, about a month ago and just just talking. So I just wanna share who, who I am, a little bit of my story. Uh, my wife, Priscilla, is here in the back. Just wave hi, Priscilla. I know she hates to be put on the spot. <laughs> I just want to let you know she felt very welcome this morning. Right when we were sitting down, she said, uh, people have been talking to me like they actually know me and that we've known each other for some time, which was which was beautiful. But let me just tell you a little bit who I am. Uh, my name is Josh. Uh, I'm a pastor's kid, and I grew up in church my entire life. Did anybody? Can anybody relate to something like that? A few of us. And so, um, I, you know, literally, like a few days after I was born, I was in church. So when I say I grew up in church my entire life, I really mean it. Um, so we grew up in church. I'm from San Francisco, California. Go Niners, go Giants. <laughs> um, so I, you know, we, I went grew up in, in the 80s, uh, went through all the sort of phases and church movements and different things like that. I went through my typical rebellion as a pastor's kid, because we're all supposed to rebel as pastor's kids. So I did all of that, and I came back to the church actually via guilt and shame through fundamentalism, which is really weird how I came back. Right? You're kind of rebelling, and then you go right back to something even worse. It was weird. Anyway, I got married. I have four kids uh, with my wife, Priscilla. We're going on 16 years of marriage this November. So. If there is a God, that's proof right there to stay married that long. Um, 16 years, we have four kids. I have a 15-year-old, pray for me. 15-year-old daughter, really pray for me. But she's great, Uh, Angelina. uh, I have a 13-year-old son named Josiah and I have a seven-year-old son named Noah and a five-year-old little girl named Nevaeh. Beautiful children. Um, So I got married, had kids, and I did ministry. um, And I went back into ministry lost my faith, doubted everything I thought I knew about God, and here I am today, (laughs) speaking to you guys, full of doubt and uncertainty, but it's okay. It's actually quite beautiful. Because God desires our trust more than our correct beliefs. Anybody relate to that? See, some years ago, uh, growing up in church, like I said, we went through all those phases, you know, of, you know, we kind of came from a Pentecostal background. I don't know if anybody's ever been through that, but, you know, you kind of see all this, you know, extra stuff and you kind of get all the feels and you know what, you know, how you're supposed to act and, and, you know, some of the things that we do in church and, but some years ago, I I went, I began a quest of a academic reading of scripture and air quotes, emphasis on the air quotes on academic being a high school dropout. but, a better word is a contextual reading of scripture. And things that I thought were, that I thought I knew suddenly had new meaning. For example, uh, I grew up in the 80s, so the rapture was was big time theology. Like the late 70s, 80s is when uh, the whole left behind stuff came out and, and uh, there was this movie that was out called uh, Thief in the Night and Uh, I remember growing up in church as a kid, completely freaked out because my dad, who was the pastor, used to show these movies of of people who didn't get raptured and then getting their heads chopped off. And I was a little kid, and I was just freaked out of my mind about this thing called the rapture. I was so afraid. Um, I grew up with fear, with tremendous fear that paralyzed me as a child in many ways uh, because of this understanding of the rapture. So, so much so to the point when I was like in elementary school, like I would hear like, you know, you would hear planes flying overhead and I would just get so afraid and i think like, oh my God, the rapture happened and I'd go to the office and I'd call my dad in the office and just to hear him pick up and then I'd just hang up. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure he was still here, right? So um, just to give you a little con- uh, understanding of kind of like how I grew up, so it wasn't until I finally started to understand Scripture and in context and realizing, oh, okay, well, when Paul is writing about the, the rapture in 1 uh, Thessalonians, actually it's not even called the rapture, but uh, he's referring to some, the parousia. The word is called parousia, and this is not part of the sermon. This is just little extra stuff. But when Caesar was away on a journey or a, 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 a battle or or some type of conquest, when he returned, it was called his royal appearing. Uh, his uh, imperial return to the city was called the Parousia. And Caesar's followers would go out of the city and meet him and welcome him back into the city. And Paul uses this exact language and imagery when he spoke of Christ's return in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So that's how we get this idea of uh, that rapture. But... Just so, so, you know, as I got older, I began to understand that the Bible was written at a specific point in time. There's context, there's history, and, you know, there's just different ways to read it. But something also happened. The more and more you study, there are things that, quite frankly, don't make a lot of sense. Right? So the so-called creation accounts in Genesis 1 and 2 tell two different stories. If you read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, I'm like, it's two different things, but it's supposed to be the same story, right? The portrayal of what seems to be like a bloodthirsty, monstrous God in the Old Testament. These are things that I begin to see and just begin to wrestle with. Are Adam and Eve literal people? Because that doesn't really make sense. Was there really a flood that covers the entire earth? And the impossibility of the earth being 6,000 years old. So, without being a total bummer this morning, I'll spare you all the details, but I seriously began to question God, my own faith, and the countless subgroups within Christianity itself denominations and things like that. I began to doubt, almost to the point of not believing this crazy story at all anymore. Can anybody relate? I just want to feel like you know where I, I want to share where I've been. Then my deconstruction happened. I want to read to you an excerpt out of uh, the Sin of Certainty by Peter Enns, talking about this doubt. Peter Enns says this, but doubt is not the enemy of faith. A solely deconstructive force that rips us away from God, a dark cloud that blocks the bright, warm sun of faith. Doubt is only the enemy of faith when we equate faith with certainty in our thinking. Doubt is what being concerned by our thinking looks like. Doubt happens when needing to be certain has run its course. Doubt can certainly leave us empty and frightened But that is precisely the benefit of doubt. It explores the folly that the strong faith, that strong faith means you need to know what you believe. That the more faith you have, the more certain you are. Doubt means spiritual relocation is happening. It's God's way of saying time to move on. Doubt is powerful. They can do things spiritually that must be done that we never get to do on our own. Doubt has a, has a way of forcing our hand and confronting us with the challenge of a deeper trust in God. Rather than leaning on the ideas we have been holding in our minds about God, doubt exposes our frail thinking. We might be accustomed to thinking of our faith as a castle, or we go to be safe and protected That's a good place to be, and we all need that experience now and then. But what if God isn't a helicopter parent? What if feeling safe and secure isn't always a sign of God's presence, but a pattern of fear that keeps God at a distance? And what if God wants to close that gap for our sake, and doubt helps us get there? Doubt isn't a sign of spiritual weakness, but the first steps toward a deeper faith. Doubt tears down the castle walls we have built with the false security and uh, permanence they give and forces us outside to walk a lonely, trying, yet cleansing road. In those times, it definitely feels like God is against us, far away or absent altogether. But what if that darkness is actually a moment of God's presence that seems like absence. The gift of God to help us grow up of our little ideas of God. Doubting God is painful and frightening because we think we are leaving God behind, when in fact we are only leaving behind ideas about God that we are used to surrounding ourselves with. The small God, the God within our control, the God who moves in our circles the God who agrees with us. Doubt strips away distractions so we can see more clearly the inadequacies of who we think God is and move move us from the foolishness of thinking that our God is the God. See, what began to happen to me, the further and further God was slipping away from me, the more and more I was doubting God and losing my faith, it's at that very moment that I felt God closer and nearer to me than ever before. And I begin to look at Jesus. I begin to focus on, on the Christ. Then I realize it doesn't matter what I think or believe about all of our deep theological ideas about God, our constructs of God, The fact that science proves that the universe is 14 billion years old and not 6,000. Rather, if I believe in a substitutionary atonement theory. Because if I really want to know what God is like, all I have to do is look at Jesus, the Christ. God is perfectly revealed in Jesus. It's God with us. We're coming up on the Christmas season soon. It's God with us, Emmanuel. It's the Word become flesh. It's God making his dwelling among us. That was our text in the beginning. It's putting on skin and bones and walking with us and coming in the form of a baby, of a refugee escaping a power-hungry tyrant. By the way, those tyrants will always be here. Uh, theologian N.T. Rice says, when the word becomes flesh, heaven and earth are joined together at last, as God always intended. God is always with the vulnerable. God is there with the poor, the oppressed, the refugee, the doubters, and the ones like me with little faith. It's there that God is with us. It's the single mother, the hurting, the depressed, in our anxieties and our pain. God is there with us. God is not found in the proud, in the palaces, but in the least, the lowest and the last places you would look. God is always with you. He is here. He is for you. And as I close, it's very short. I, I wasn't sure how long Ryan usually goes, and I kind of text him this morning, and he's about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, kind of depends. <laughs> but God is found in our brokenness. It's in our loss, in our betrayal, our grief, our frustration, and in our doubt. God is found right here with us, here at Mission Hills Church. And let's pray. Loving God, you know our hearts. You know that our love for you is sincere, even if weak, and our walk with you is determined, even if stumbling. Strengthen us today by your Spirit to walk in your ways of love. As Jesus loved, we pray.